0: Blood Talk Radio. flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care dare to give a gift that lasts this valentine's day with our incredible selection of jewelry from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds jared has hundreds of pieces under 299 dollars and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Troy News an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cicillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. We'll, uh, we'll be talking about the Atlantic Division today, as I need to say. As you know, it's where Syracuse is, uh, is housed for its football program at the moment. And, uh, yeah. We, uh, we'll see who they're facing. Dan, you good this time?
2: Yes. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you.
2: Ah, that was weird. I wasn't muted, but, uh, yeah, I was saying happy, um, happy first week of fall or, uh, I guess summer football camp, everyone.
1: Happy first day. Indeed. Um, I know Dan and I, amongst others are uh, very, very excited for another fall of college football. And uh, this is a perfect episode to kind of get that all kicked off. Yeah. I mean, being excited about college football as a Syracuse fan,
2: it's probably kind of what it's like about being someone who uh, just to, like their memory wipes on a daily basis. So, like, you're excited about <laughs> living out living out the day, but you're not quite sure, like, everyone else just looks at you like, why are you doing this to yourself? Um, no, but I think I think we've, we've both kind of had some mostly positive takeaways from the Few things that have been allowed to be leaked out uh, from the team the last couple of days, aside from a couple of injuries today.
1: Yeah, the injuries weren't great. Um, we'll touch on those quick before we jump in. Um, you know, obviously Denzel Ward, anyone in the offensive of line, uh, just not great to see any sort of injury. Uh, it seems that he's had he's been silent a little bit. Some of the seems minimal. Uh, the the worrisome one though is uh, John Raymond, who, uh, like, the last thing you want to see from anyone on the defensive line, but especially him, uh, it's just heartbreaking, you know, another potential injury um, that he's a ready sideline with, and we just got started in camp.
2: Yeah, and it seems like Schaefer and Dowse have been trying to downplay it.
1: Um,
2: I don't know if they would do it like that. It, it really was serious, but I didn't love the week-to-week thing. It did seem like he's going to be out for, you know, until – who knows? But um, they are saying it's not a big deal. So hopefully they are not just, uh, you know, trying to get one by everyone. Um, and that really isn't a big deal. Because, like we said last week, he is potentially one of the most important players in the defense, uh, right up there with Michael, with Robinson, uh, not Michael Robinson, Ron Thompson. Um, the linebackers are all great, but we have a lot of them. Uh, we only have one John Raymond. Um, so hopefully this is not a big deal.
1: Agreed. I mean, a week-to-week thing through me as well. Definitely wasn't encouraging to hear that um, over day-to-day or temporarily sidelined. Um, hopefully, it was just more of a, you know, this is just how we're evaluating it rather than a, a kind of slip as to just how serious this is. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed. And let's move on to non-serious things. We'll circle back to SU. Um, we have our Atlantic Division preview. As we were mentioning earlier, while uh, Dan's getting back online here, in um, the Atlantic Division, for those who, uh, who still don't remember the uh, nonsensical divisional name in our ACC. This is year three for us. I would hope that you're on board at this point, but some probably aren't. <laughs> so there are seven teams, including us, and we'll be going through all seven today. Uh, we won't Guys, as much as you today, because we do have in a couple weeks, our, uh, our full hour-long preview of just Syracuse. Um, so, yeah, if you just wanted to hear Syracuse, maybe wait until then, but I guarantee you'll probably want to hear a little bit about our opponent.
2: Yeah, I and mean, it's all coming from a Syracuse perspective. So, I think it's all worth worth knowing about, especially because we play these teams every year. Very, very like true. Divisions again, inevitably.
1: <laughs> Which... Hopefully,
2: yeah, probably the good thing for Syracuse, but right now we are stuck in the division with, uh, you know, three, you know, a team three teams that can be three of the best teams in the entire thing, uh, on a fairly regular basis. So yay for that.
1: Hooray! Right. Yeah. Jumping in, because now we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time. Um, Boston college. Uh, BC Eagles, obviously, our uh, our chief rival in the ACC right now in all of college football. Um, and so, you know, West Virginia and or Penn State start playing us every year on a regular basis again, and we we find some venom-filled moments with them. But for the time being, it's it's BC, and, that, and that's totally all right. Um, BC is a very interesting case, Dan. Um, I think we'll just kind of go quick. Offense, defense. Um And then, you know, at the end, we can kind of predict in order of finish. Um, BC replaces a ton. I mean, the narrative about Syracuse has been that that the Orange replaces a ton. Um, But Boston College really, really replaces a lot of folks. Um, And they lose half the defense. They lose almost the entire offense. Uh, The fact that they don't have, you know, any real playmakers on offense outside of John Hilleman's back um, should be concerning. I think the lack of Tyler Murphy um, will be a major, major um, downgrade for them. I know that you know last year Murphy kind of took folks by surprise and really ran uh, ran the BC offense on the ground, uh, probably better than any of us thought he could. Um, and I think there's going to be a huge, huge drop off with him not being under center. Yeah, I
2: think. We've, there's this narrative built around BC. And I don't think it's an unfair one that um, Adazio has gone in there and really built a system um, that is exactly how he wants it. And he's uh, bringing in players to it. And, and even if they're not the most talented team on the field, they just know what they're doing. And we saw that last year where I don't think they were the most talented team by any stretch, but they had a, a interesting playmaker in Tyler Murphy, who was not a perfect quarterback, but was a dangerous runner and, They just used him to the greatest possible effects for the one year. Um, They had some decent running backs, and they just round out wins and kept being close. Kind of reminded me of the 2010 Syracuse team, honestly, where it was not a super explosive team but played good defense and just found ways to win the games they could. Um, But you're right. This this year is really going to be a test for the Adazio uh, system. If he can plug in a new quarterback, whether it's Darius Wade or Troy Flutie, uh, yes. So he's he's one of those. Um, And they just keep on rolling and do their whole, like, you know, go to an okay bowl game thing. It speaks really highly of what Adazio has accomplished there. If not, then obviously he's not anywhere near the hot seat. That'd be crazy. He's a very, he's, he's done a very good job with BC, but it does make things um, a little more interesting in the Atlantic where you can't just pencil in BC to be a solid uh, bowl level team. Um, but on the other hand, it's a really young squad. So if they come out and win six or seven games, there could be a lot to build on for them.
1: No, I completely agree. I think that what this group has going for it, and it's something that I think all of us would rather Syracuse had, um, is just the type of discipline and mistake-free football that, and, and you know, in-game adjustments that allow for lesser teams to, to you know, overperform. Uh, you know, their talent. Um, and, and that's one thing that, that BC has been able to do very quickly. Um, and Adazio has really been able to instill from top to bottom, you know, saw some attrition um, around the program, but really not to the point of a lot of others, I mean, including, you know, ours kind of twice in the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, BC's been able to get a full buy-in. I think what helped, um for Adazio's first full class was the fact that it was, Uh, You know, senior laden, he had a ton of guys coming back from a a really disappointed 2-10 squad in 2012, and that really allowed him to hit the ground running. I think, you know, the benefits were clear last year um, for Murphy, um, as well as having a lot of those younger guys see what those seniors could do um, with better coaching um, in 2013. And now 2014 is going to be the real test. Um, Phil Connelly on his that, uh, that you know, BC could take a step back this year and, and it would be well earned. Um, I don't know if they're going to. I, I could see them finishing short of six wins, but it won't be because there's a lesser product on the field. It could just simply be because a couple teams got better, BC got slightly worse, and, and the, the, the weight kind of shifted in the opposite direction. Yeah,
2: I, I think um, one of the things we say about BC a decent amount is that um, they've definitely found a very solid identity. Um, you can't say that about every team in the ACC. I think there's actually a pretty clear divide between the schools like B.C., Georgia Tech, Florida State definitely has an identity, Clemson, uh, Duke at this point under Hutcliffe. all Even if they're not you know great teams across the board, they all kind of know what they are and they, they slide into that role well, whereas a team like Syracuse under Schaefer really hasn't found it. I, I would argue Miami, UNC, Virginia all kind of seem more – there there just always seem to be more question marks and and more uncertainty. Um, So even when BC doesn't have, you know, top 30, top 40 talent, um, they can overcome a lot just because there's a real coherence in what they do.
1: Very much so. Um, Dan, if there's one player on on this uh, BC squad um, that you're really excited about this year, um, who do you think it is? It could be offense, defense, doesn't matter. You're
2: on mute. I was, I was muted. Yeah. It's going to be one of those nice. <laughs> um, I, I really liked their running back group. Uh, I think Hilleman, um, didn't get a lot of press. It doesn't help following like a 2000 yard rusher, but, uh, he did have a very nice year last year. Um, kind of a grinded out guy. Uh, you know, he's a pretty big back at 324, but he had 13 touchdowns last year. Um, And then you have just a nice array of of talent. Miles Willis, a little smaller, more of a a step back, slightly more explosive. Uh, Then obviously the Syracuse local Tyler Rouse, who a lot of guys wanted, a lot of Syracuse fans wanted us to recruit because he's uh, from, off the top of my head, Baldwinville. He's from the area. Um, So I just think they have a very interesting array of runners. And obviously, it's a team that runs the ball, that's what they do. So I think uh, it should be fun to watch them you know, do their thing and see if Hilleman can emerge as one of these, like, top-level running backs that BC has been able to put out there the last couple of years.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Hillman's an easy choice here for me. Uh, but, you know, I think I really like Justin Simmons. Um, you're looking at a senior, uh, you know, one of the, the few, few seniors um, left on this defense. Um, a guy who could really make a difference from a spot where BC hasn't necessarily been strong, not that they've been weak either, um, but haven't necessarily been strong in recent years and to a secondary, um, you know, that has a player like him kind of sitting out there. Um, I'm surprised and curious to see what he does, um, being kind of, you know, the main playmaker um, in a group of defensive backs that we don't really know a ton about.
2: Yeah. yeah, and, and BC always seems to have very solid defensive players. Uh, usually, more along in the linebacking core. But Simmons does seem to be a, a, a nice playmaker. He's a big safety, uh, back there at six three, kind of the same stature as Darrell Estridge. Made a lot of tackles last year. Had a couple tackles for loss. Had a sack. Had two interceptions. So he is kind of a do it all player for them.
1: Definitely. Turning the page on to our next opponent, Clemson. Um, we, uh, we like the Tigers, don't we, Dan? Um, in what way? <laughs>
2: <laughs> on the field, they are a very good football team that are fun to watch.
1: Well, sort of fun last year. The defense is fun to watch last year.
2: Not Well, last year, you know. when the, Deshaun Watson's a very fun football team that's fun to watch. I know he's this one player.
1: Fair, fair. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's a good place to start. Deshaun Watson. Dan, why is Deshaun Watson one of the five players with an inside route to win the Heisman Trophy this year? Um, he is
2: deadly accurate. He uh, has all kinds of poise um, in the pocket. He's a fabulous runner. Uh, he played on a torn ACL last year and won football games for whatever reason. I, I'll still never be convinced that was a good idea, but he did it and will apparently be okay this year. Um, he had Clemson playing like one of the best teams in the country when he was healthy. Uh, and really the health is the only major question mark with him. He's
0: unbelievable
2: to watch. Uh, I would not be shocked at all if he won the Heisman uh, in four or five months, whenever, however far away from that we are. Not to get ahead of everything, but he's just, a phenomenal football player. Um, reminds me, not athletically, but in terms of his poise as a quarterback, a lot of freshman Jameis Winston. But Jameis, uh, except for that one awesome run that Oklahoma State, really isn't a rusher. Sean Watson's super fast and and really make uh, trouble for teams that's out of the pocket. So he's just um, everything that you like in a dynamic college quarterback, uh, you'll get it from Watson.
1: Indeed. Um, if there's one place where you think Clemson could potentially be lacking this year, do you think it's the run game or do you think that with Gallman back, with Tyson Die back, that this team um, can kind of right the ship running? Because I think last year there was anywhere um, that lacked a little bit for the Tigers. It was probably there and it was probably part of the reason why potentially dynamic um Chad Morris' offense couldn't really get going.
2: I don't know. I'm not blown away by anyone on the team. Um, they have a couple guys who have been productive. Wayne Dolman, solid, had, you know, almost eight hundred yards last year. C.J. Davis and Adam Choice are both interesting players. Um, I'm just way more enamored by their passing game. I think they, were, they have, again, uh, a really stacked receiving core with Mike Williams and Artavis Scott and Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Hopper. Um, I know they have Sharon Peak too. They have just so many receivers. So I think um, just having Watt, or, uh, having yeah, Deshaun Watson in there to open things up should only help the running game. Um, I don't think having Cole Stout, who was far less dynamic and far less of a, of a threat to take off himself or be down the field, um, did any real favors for the running back. So I, I don't expect any of them to really blow up. I think uh, Watson and the receivers are going to be the focal point of the offense but I wouldn't be surprised if they were a quietly really productive group next year. All
1: right. All right. Um, I guess shifting around for the defense a little bit. Um, the team lost just about everybody from, from a, from a lethal front seven. Um, yeah. who do you think is going to be the toughest person to replace? Obviously Vic Beasley, um, is a big name, but but that kind of ignores Grady Jarrett um, as well, who I, I think the two of them kind of played off one another um, and, and both of their games a lot from week to week. Um, who do you think is the is the toughest player to replace um, on that front seven? Uh, Jarrett was going to be the guy I brought up.
2: I was going to bring up um, Beasley was a very dynamic pass rusher, but I think though you can. If you have a good defensive tackle, you can make defensive ends work. Uh, we've seen Syracuse do it in the past where a couple of years ago we didn't think we had great defensive ends, but we had solid play in the middle with Jay Bromley, and our defensive ends ended up being very productive. Um, Brady Jarrett was a monster inside for uh, Clemson, and I don't think of Vic Beasley, who is a, as good a player as people say. I don't know if he would have been nearly the player he was if he didn't have Jarrett in there to – uh, really play, uh, fill up, fill the gaps, and really allowed Beasley to focus on rushing the passer. He didn't, he wasn't a, a great run defender. Um, and they do have a guy in Shaft Austin who has, you know, he had three and a half sacks last year, a solid defensive end. Um, they don't have a super, uh, I mean, they have, they have some big guys, but they don't have anyone with the experience of Jarrett. So I think he's going to be the hardest to replace. But replacing just a group like Jarrett and Beasley and uh, Stefano Anthony, the middle linebacker, who was, who was great for a couple of years and Tony Stewart, like they just have to replace so many guys. Um, it won't be easy. And I think it would, you have to respect them to take a step back, uh, as anyone would, because number one defenses in the country don't often repeat as number one defenses two years in a row.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I, I think Anthony is, is an unsung player in that conversation, but, but one for sure. He, uh, it's interesting to me, usually, you know, a really dynamic linebacker will get the brunt of the attention, um, especially in the college game, I feel it, it's just uh, so many folks, especially given so many three, four schemes, uh, so many schemes that really kind of focus in on that, that speed rush, off, uh, outside linebacker off the edge. It just seems like, like Anthony would be the focal point instead um, and this isn't a bad thing for, for Clemson, the fact they had this problem. <laughs> um, you know, having everything kind of go to Beasley and, and Jarrett took the, some of the spotlight off of him. Um, but, yeah, I think Anthony's going to be a tough, tough player to replace. Luckily, I think a guy like Kendall Joseph. And then, obviously, you have, you know, two more veteran guys coming in some of the other linebacker spots, B.J. Goodson, Ben Bolware, I mean, Boulware in particular has a ton, ton, ton of both, you know, actual, um, results and potential, um, sitting out there. So I think in general, um, the linebackers, while might have the biggest losses, they also had the biggest gains um, in terms of who's replacing, um, the one player and and there's two that come to mind uh, that I'm really scared of this year on on Clemson's roster. Um, I'm going to go with Mackenzie Alexander. Um, J. Ron Curse would be the other, but Mackenzie Alexander just came in with so much hype, so much potential, and um, you know what? I, I think he's really, really going to deliver on it. I think he's one of the best, if not the best corner in the conference already, um, and, and he's going to make some noise on a national level. And I, I hope, uh, for SU's sake, that we kind of avoid sending anybody his way, um, though we know that he's probably going to be blanketing Steve Ishmael when the two teams safely later in season.
2: That's a good point. McKenzie um, Alexander actually today after their practice said that he was the best cornerback in the in college football and that no one was close. Um, I think a guy named Vernon Hargreaves would probably take exception with that. down in Florida, but he's definitely you know he's in the he's in the in the discussion. I, I'd probably take a couple other guys over him too, but he's a very good player. Um, as is Jaron Curse, their free safety, so they have a very nice secondary which can help um, because they will not be getting the same pass rush uh, that they got last year. So it should be a very good defense again. I just don't think it'll be quite the level that we saw this past season, but they have some pieces and they have a lot of speed and a lot of talent because it comes in and that's what they, that's what they always have.
1: No doubt. It's um, moving on again. And again, this isn't to, to brush through our opponents. It's more to keep in mind that we do have, you know, Seven teams to cover and a short amount of time to do it. Um, we'll definitely be sure to, to give a uh, a full breakdown of the divisional standings coming in. Um, and Dan and I have not talked about this beforehand, so just as we have done in previous seasons, instead of uh, you know reading wins and losses down the list for you, we'll uh, instead be reading projected standings to you. So, compelling, compelling radio here. Florida State. Um, for a team that we, loses oh, – what was that, then?
2: I, I was going to say, are you saying we're about to talk about the Knolls?
1: I'm talking about the Knolls. For a team that loses as much as they are, um, I'd have to say I am not at all worried about what Florida State puts on the field this year. Um, that has nothing to do with Everett Colson, Um has nothing to do with whether or not Dalvin Cook is actually on the team or not. Um this is everything to do with this is Florida State. Jimbo Fisher's racking up top recruiting classes for years and years now. Um and and FSU is ready to compete at the same exact level they have for the past several seasons.
2: Yeah, I I think it'll be a closer race. I don't I don't expect Florida State to walk into Death Valley and win by like fifty points this year. Um but it's tough to look at Florida State totality of of roster talent and say, yeah, that's a team that will definitely not make a run to the college football playoff. Um, Obviously Everett Dolphin is not in the same planet as Jameis Winston. I know uh, Winston had a lot of interceptions last year and stuff, but Everett Dolphin is not as good a player like at all, but he's still a very good player Um, and he can be uh, under Jimbo Fisher, uh, who is a wizard at getting quarterback, uh, to be good enough to go to the NFL, and, you know, maybe not more. We'll see what happens with Winston. But um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Wilson improved and became really top-line quarterback, which he hasn't really been yet in his career. He's had flashes, but that Florida big game last year, like, broke him, I think. Uh, so now he's down there. Um, and I think uh, even if he's not great, I think he'll be a step up from what they would have done from Sean McGuire or if they wanted to throw DeAndre Francois to the Wolves, which I don't think they were going to. Um, it should allow them to stay around a 10-win level, which uh, I, I have a hard time seeing Florida State dropping out of for more than like a year at a time with the way they recruit.
1: I would agree. Um, I think in general, um, we're kind of looking at a very, 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 um, again, good team. No matter who's a quarterback, I think Sean McGuire could do a perfectly fine job. Um, and you know what? I think Golson. I think Golson can rebound. I don't think he again, He's never going to be an elite, elite passer, um, but I don't think we're going to see the kind of you know disastrous results that we saw last year uh, between the Florida State game, even the game you know with us. I mean, he had all those completions in a row. Yes, but so many turnovers. Just not a great game manager. I mean, he kept Syracuse single-handedly kept Syracuse in a game against a, a much better Irish team uh, when they really should have. You know, blown at you right off, off the field. Um, so I, I'm very intrigued to see how that works out. Um, the other elephant in the room, um, obviously, is Dalvin Cook. No one knows um, if he'll play, when he'll play. Um, I'm tempted to think he will not, um, especially given all the heat that FSU's taken recently. Um, for how, I mean, and, and just for the last few seasons on how uh, the Winston situation was handled, how in general, you know, FSU seems to be kind of above, at least to some, and the national media, especially with the narrative, seems to be above, um, you know, the rest of Tallahassee. Um, it's, I think, like I said, I, I think Cook doesn't see the field. Um, but even if he doesn't, I think Mario Pender will be just fine. Yeah, I
2: mean, they have a bunch of. Usually, uh, I mean, they have Pender who was solid in a limited time. I think Cook is probably the best playmaker on the team. I've had Florida State fans disagree with me in that point, and uh, they probably know more about it than I do. But just watching a good amount of their games last year, I thought he was the most explosive player they have. Uh, they also have a freshman running back, uh, Jeff Patrick, who's a five star player and running back who can more than other positions plug and play. Um, so it's not like they're hurting for talent uh, back there, but losing Cook would be a big deal. Um, and I, I have no idea if he's a player or not this year. It just it seems like when these things get dragged out, uh, it, it seems like they're looking for a way to get him on the field, so we'll see. Um, but it would be a big loss. But with Dolphin, with all those receivers like uh, Bober Wilson and Travis Rudolph and Herman Lane in terms of which I think they'll find a way to source some points.
1: Agreed. Um, I guess the one other player that I might want to bring up here. Um, again, this, this is going to be less about a current guy because uh, I think I think we're pretty sold on Terrence Smith and Jalen Ramsey being, you know, big impact players for FSU as they have been in the past. But um, Dan, for the, for you, what's the impact of uh, Mario Edwards uh, not no longer being on this defensive line? I know. Uh, I know. Last year we got to talk to Bud Elliott a little bit uh, during the summer. And really discuss kind of you know just how important Edwards was, especially stopping the run. Uh, do you think that he could be the most important departure for this team, even more so than, than perhaps Winston?
2: I wouldn't go that far. Um, he's probably the most important departure on the defense, though. Um, their linebacking corps is pretty much intact. Their, their secondary aside from P.J. Williams and Ronald Darby, stupid losses, but they have a ton of talent back there. But the defensive line is a big question. Um, they didn't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. From their from their front at, to begin with, and they lose uh, their three biggest guys there, in Edward Goldman and Holland. Um, I think they do have some solid talent up there. Uh, just today, uh, Josh Sweat, who is one of the top recruits in the country, um, he's been practicing, and apparently he's ready to go, which is crazy because he, uh, I think on September 19th last year, tore his ACL and dislocated his knee. Um, but apparently he's back, and it's been like. 10 months, which is insane. Uh, and then they have just all kinds of, like, if you're looking at the same chart as I am, the, the uh, Bill Tomlin chart, it's just blue-chip talent all over the place. So they're definitely going to have some inexperience up front, but a lot of talent um, and a lot of experience behind it. So I think Edwards is a big loss, but I think that um, if a team is prepared to overcome that kind of loss from the defensive lines, it's probably a team like this Florida State group.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's dead on. Um, and obviously, you know, not trying to not trying to rile up things we're, we're over at News Magician, we are pretty close with uh, the FSU faithful and want to get that point across. Um, don't think Winston uh, should be downplayed in his department, is downplayed by any means, but uh, just kind of exploring the possibilities uh, of a life without uh, Mario Edwards
0: for this um, defensive front.
1: Um, I think this is a good place to stop for some halftime,
0: uh, Dan, if, it, if that works
1: for you and your uh, your current list of, uh, of drinks. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was thrown off
2: by our, our slightly different format tonight, but let me pull it up because I have had a couple different things. Um, no worries. Yeah, so I went to uh, single cup brewery brewery last uh, or I guess they're technically called single cut beersmiths in Astoria uh, last weekend um, had a couple things from them um, uh, the, the highlights for were definitely uh, everything I had there was pretty good I uh, did the highlights were uh, the sugar uh, they call, they call the mini soul bender IPA it's really crazy like most interesting flavors of beer I've ever I've had in a long time uh, didn't have like the the classic hoppy IPA taste like at least super outwardly. There's almost like a toasty, almost buttery taste to it, but nothing like crazy or gimmicky. It just it was just a very interesting combination of flavors, very, quite good, um, very drinkable. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I'd say the highlight of that trip was, um, and I've apparently had it before, uh, I just didn't realize I had had it when I ordered it, their uh, Yon Olympic white lager, um, which also really interesting, um, very uh, almost like almost like a sour in terms of um, some of the flavors going on there, but then had like, you know, the very definitive wheat uh, beer flavor. Um, really nice blend. They seem to really try some interesting things there, but nothing like, like, you know, we've talked about gimmicky beers in the past. And I know, um, we both tweeted out links to, to Goldfarb's uh, troll beer article that went up a couple weeks ago, nothing like that. That would, that would go on that list, but just some things that I haven't really seen a lot of other breweries uh, try. Um, unfortunately they didn't have the, uh, Kim red raspberry sour lager on tap when I went, but I have that a couple weeks ago. And I think I talked about it here. Um, I tried uh, elsewhere. I had Alpine Beer Company's Happy Birthday, which has, you know, as you can probably tell from the title, very, uh, you know, popped-up beer, but really nice. It was done really smooth. Um, not too dissimilar from some of the other, like, top IPAs I've had. And I, I know it has super high stores on, like, beer advertising, like, a 98%. So it's, it's a pretty acclaimed beer. I uh, was happy to find that. Um, and then I tried the... Uh, a couple things from uh, Two Roads. I have their Road Jam, which i talked about before, uh, which is a uh, raspberry sour, quite good. I uh, hadn't had that in a while. I also tried um, a salted pineapple wit from a brewing concern, which I hadn't heard of before. It's apparently an English beer. Um, it wasn't super salted or pineapple flavored. It kind of just seemed like a slightly pineapply uh, with, uh, but it was pretty good, so definitely something looked out for. I had never seen it before, and I was at a World of Beer, and they had it, so it was interesting, but uh, definitely a nice mix of beers the last week.
1: I was going to say, Dan, it was more like a like a John week for you.
2: A little bit. I had, a, uh, you know, I went to a brewery. I went to World of Beer. We were with friends and stuff. Um, had a Friday off where I just stumbled upon some different beers, so it was definitely a, a bit more of a heavy week. Than, uh, than I've had in the past. which was nice because it was all
1: mostly good stuff. A lot of good choices. Nice. Uh, looking through mine, let me just. some reason I was not signed in. So for any delay on your end, and I am uh, having a very rousing conversation about scheduling the Syracuse Twitter, and uh, it just could not wait. For those who have been following along, it's uh, been going for about an hour now. <laughs> We're having a grand old time.
2: Yeah, I'm going to do- disagree with the notion that losing by 40 points in LSU is better than winning six or seven games and going to a bowl game, no matter what the bowl game is. But
1: uh, maybe it's Let's just... Would. <laughs> Agree to disagree, fans. <laughs> Um, yeah, so things that I was drinking last week, um, had Highland Park Brewing's Hello LA, um, it's a really good one for those who haven't had, probably most of you, um, and try out uh, Pizza Ports, uh, Cook double IPA, uh, just a really good, readily available IPA, uh, double IPA here on the market, um, it was great to grab a can of that, uh, had what I have been looking for for a little while, um, I've talked about modern times, fortunate islands here. Unfortunately, it doesn't get out to the northeast. East. Um, they're San Diego Brew. Usually only get to SoCal, some North Cal, a little bit of Arizona. Um, but they're fortunate islands. Uh, my favorite uh, beach beer, just a, just a hoppy, pale wheat uh, lager. They have, uh, they're fortunate islands with grapefruit zest. Um, obviously, it's no grapefruit Sculpin, but um, it's a really, really enjoyable drink, a little bit lighter. Um, it's got some of that great, 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 great flavor. Um, beyond that, only other real, like, interesting, interesting thing I had was Ideation. It was a uh, barrel aged um, wheat wine from Bottle Logic down in uh, Orange County. It was a pretty good beer. Definitely enjoyed it. Um, I have a bunch of other things kind of on the docket for uh, this week. So we'll have plenty more to share next week as well, as always. Very nice,
2: and hopefully I'll have a similarly fruitful week this week.
1: Yeah. Okay. Louisville. Um, for those who have uh, been following Syracuse football for the last decade or so, Louisville's kind of have this interesting – we haven't had a rivalry, because I know Sean had kind of like a, a half-joking article years back that uh, they kind of talk about Louisville as our sort of rival, um, but you know what? The, the cards and, and Orange have really played a lot of interesting games recent years. Even last year, it looked like a blowout um, on paper at the end, but um, had a lot more nuances to it than than the uh, the box score um, is going to uh, you know portray. In particularly maddening was um, you know a certain spike ball. Inside of three seconds, a rule that, well, no, I wasn't aware of going in. I feel like if you're a player or a coach engaged in the game, you might have to know, but I digress. (laughs) Louisville was a very good team last year, and they're going to be a very good team this year. Um, The one problem area I can see right off the bat, though, is is, is quarterback. Uh, Dan, who is the quarterback for the Louisville Cardinals? Uh, I I don't know. Do they know?
2: I, I don't think they know either. Um, I'd probably say Will Gardner, but I, I, he's so on. He's like I don't know. He's very mess. He's decent. He had nice touchdown interception rate, but you know he's only getting six point six yards at attempt. Um, just not nothing to get super excited about. He's not you know he fumbles a lot. He uh, it's just. There's no great option. Reggie Bonifant is probably a little more exciting. He'll run around a bit. Um, but he also takes sacks at, like, a comical rate. He, uh, I'm reading, obviously re- reading comilies here. He has a 15.5% sack rate, which is legitimately astronomical. That's a huge number. Um, and he also doesn't pick up nearly enough yards to, like, make up for it. It's not worth the risk. And he's not nearly as protective of the football as Bonifant. Um, it's just, like – None of these guys are super exciting at all. I don't see an obvious. I don't see an obvious guy stepping in here. Um, luckily, they have some talent elsewhere, and their defense is fantastic. Uh, I don't know that this offense is going to be great this year, but the other thing, the other side of the coin is that Bobby Petrino just got there last year and had a pretty decent offense, and he's a guy with a pretty well-defined system that hasn't had a chance to really get it rolling yet. So maybe there'll be. A little more uh, coherency and consistency on uh, coming from the coaching and maybe that'll help improve them in some areas um, but they also lose guys like Devontae Parker who was uh, a monster so who knows I, I really don't know what to make of Louisville's offense
1: yeah neither do I uh, and for all the reasons you stated right off the bat <laughs> it's just kind of hard to tell what we're getting here we're getting quarterbacks who have seen the field, but none who are really sure can excel. Um, the loss of Devontae Parker is uh, not to be understated. Um, I do think he was one of the best receivers in college football last year. I think that he's going to be a very, very good NFL receiver this year, a great downfield threat. Um, that's something to watch if you are watching football on Sundays as well, um, which I sometimes am, sometimes I'm not. Uh what also kind of worries me about Louisville are kind of some of the same things that we see, we've seen with Syracuse, um, kind of a high risk, high reward, um, you know, turnover driven, um, scheme last year that really kind of boosted the stock and, and gratefully so of, of guys like, you know, Jared Holloman, uh, Lorenzo Malden, like these are guys who, who much like Shaper's teams, you know, Get after the football, try to force turnovers, try to cause havoc, and, and it worked for them. Worked like a charm. Um, you know, Louisville was pretty much in every game until that last one, um, and, and and by and large, I this, this is a this is an interesting team for Bobby Petrino because it's not offensively focused, but it's one that if they if they stay, uh, you know, on their current trajectory and and keep kind of going out and getting Georgia transfers, going out and really solidifying an aggressive defense. Um, you know, it, it speaks to kind of what we've said about Schaefer for a while. Like Schaefer's a good coach, but like make sure you you surround yourself with with great offensive minds if you're a defensively minded coach. Um, and we'll see if Lester is one of those. Um, for Louisville, Petrino seems to have surrounded himself with with quality defensive coaches um, who built a very very strong defense on the fly. Um, and you know what? Again, they're, they're going to be good. They might not be as, as as aggressive or, or as you know, productive as last year, but you know, last year was also an anomaly in terms of just how good they were. Um, you take the same about Clemson, too. Um, it, it, last year was an anomaly, and a step back doesn't necessarily mean that they're worse. It just means that they weren't the best. Um, so I, I think that you know, defensively, there are pieces to replace, but I, I do think that a more well-rounded group um, and one that you know comes down to earth a little bit could still be just as, uh, just as effective as last year's.
2: Yeah, and, and it's easy to look at what they've lost defensively and say that they're going to take a big step back, but no team adds more from the transfer market. Um, obviously, you, you brought up the two Georgia guys. I guess three if you add in Brantham, uh who left Georgia or was leaving Georgia and went to Louisville as the coordinator. But so they have Josh Harvey, Clemens, and Chad Wiggins, who are both fairly important players for Georgia two years ago. Uh, both now playing for Louisville and coming off of their transfer year out uh, they'll both presumptively be starters uh, and they had Devontae Fields who if I remember correctly was the big 12 defensive uh, freshman of the year a couple years back and was slated to go to play in the FCS after doing some issues at TCU and now he wound up at Louisville which is kind of came out of nowhere and is, is a big deal for them losing Lorenzo Malden Um, And they return most of the defensive line. So this group, they do lose a decent amount, but they just add in a bunch of really experienced playmakers. Um, So they might not have a 14 interception, Gerard Holloman, who, uh, you know, had one of those really crazy years that um, it's hard to explain. But they have just a bunch of guys who have played elsewhere and uh, a couple of guys who played for Grantham. Uh, So
1: they should be able to slide into Agreed. Agreed. Sorry, just kind of elevating our, uh, our, our rate of, <laughs> of churn here as we, as we get through these teams, realizing that, you know, Dan and I used to do this literally every single team for an hour um, over a full summer um, and a busy summer and just kind of a change of schedule prevented that. So now trying to boil down that same, uh, you know, in-depth view into um, seven minutes or so. Definitely proving but nc state um we yeah. have our thoughts on the wolf pack. um it's weird i feel like dan do you feel like we have an adversarial relationship with them because i don't know why i mean i know there's like a couple incidents now but i feel like we have an adversarial relationship with their fans. um not in the, in the same level as clemson but i know in general um NC State's not too thrilled with us on a regular basis. We're not too thrilled with them, and it just becomes a, a cyclical thing. Um, you really can't point to anything notable that happens in any game between our two teams.
2: Um, I'm going to say it stems back to the
1: two thousand The Godfrey's comment? Excuse me? Do you think it was a Godfrey's comment? Uh, I,
2: what I, I, I remember those. I don't know if that was it, but I think when we went down there, I think our last year in the Big East, we went to a, we played a road game there and we blew them out. And we had like apparently just thousands and thousands of North Carolina transplant uh, or CNY transplant fans down there. And they kind of this is after obviously they knew we were coming to the league, and then they were just kind of thrown off by it. And I know their fans like went into the whole St. John's like why are we selling tickets mode for a minute. Um, so I think that was like kind of a rude introduction. Uh, we have to win the game by a decent amount, if I remember correctly. Um, and then it's just been uh, – I don't know. It has been strangely contentious. I think having a lot of Syracuse fans in the area doesn't help, um, especially because NC State has this weird, like, third, third-wheel 3rd relationship with Duke and UNC already. Um, and I don't know. It, it definitely has been kind of strange. The dot-free thing doesn't help. Um, the, the weird, like, ties between our, our football coaching stabs and, and the fact that we went down there and won our first football team doesn't help. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's one of those interesting things across the board, really, where we seem to have – we've, we've really defined our relationships with these fan bases really quick. Like Clemson, obviously, we have the, the really harsh, like, obnoxious back and forth. And then Florida State, we strangely have the kinship with, which doesn't make all that much sense on paper. Um BC, we have kind of a, a pretty congenial rivalry with, but we're also pretty cool with those guys. With NC State, it's weirdly contentious. So, it, I, I almost think it's helped us uh, fit in well, or uh, at least more easily than a lot of us thought we would, considering we had such defined relationships with all these Big
1: East uh, fan bases. Yeah, it is weird. I guess we'll get back to Act the tough and about the cheese <laughs> That that whole conversation about our relationship with fan bases can uh,
0: can live and
1: die another day. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think this team really does come down to, and it's not to say that there isn't talent elsewhere, because I think there is a decent amount of talent on this full tech squad, and it's one that is actually getting better as we go. I think Dylan's uh, put in some good work on the recruiting front, and he's seen some great results. Um, but he's also gotten some great results out of uh, and the kids that were already there uh, when he showed up, um, the 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 big big name though is Jacoby Brissett, um, and and for Brissett, uh, you know he he's this weird. I mean like like NC State, just, he's weirdly hovering around national conversations. Everyone wants the Pack to win nine ten games a year for some reason, <laughs> and you know what? Maybe they can. I, but it does seem like everyone wants Brissett and NC State to be very good this year. Um, and I think it's an exciting, he leaves an exciting offense, um, only in the sense that if someone else can produce other than him, um, we saw what happened when Brissett was on his own. I think for most of the series, game, that was the case, um, and he struggled, uh, not completely, but enough so that he wasn't able to help, you know, the Wolfpack pull away from a team they were, should have been clearly better than, um, I am curious to see who can really help. For set. I, I think that that the running game can only stand to improve last year after um, they shuffled in a lot of different guys. Uh, you know, Shadrack, uh, sorry, Shadrack, Thornton and Matt Days um, were two guys who've seen reps for a couple of years now. Um, and in general, I, I think that you know some injuries here and there for this group, um, a fairly veteran offensive line, but there's a lot to like um, as far as production goes. Where I'm worried, um, and then I'll let you jump in, Dan. Um, defensive front and and the wide receivers in particular, they're just not – I'm not seeing enough coming back, and I wasn't necessarily impressed with what left.
2: Yeah. Um, I just don't think the receiving core was that great. They had Brissette, who is like an amped-up version of what BC got last year um, at the quarterback position, where not quite the runner that – we just talked about him, his name is in my mind – Oh, that's driving me crazy. BC's quarterback last year, right? Trevor Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't quite the runner that Murphy was, but he was a a very solid passer. Um, Didn't give the ball away. Uh, You know, wasn't like super pinpoint accurate. He he was under fifty percent, but he just he threw for way more touchdowns than people probably expected. He only threw for five picks Um, and just controlled the ball. Not a not a huge playmaker in terms of like down the field throws, but this protected the ball and they had a solid rushing game between him and Thornton and Dave. And uh, they, I think more than anything, NC state's just an example of the scheduling thing that we harp on so often. Um, They lost four games in a row to start ACC play Uh, Florida state where they kind of almost won. So then they got blown out by Clemson 41, nothing. Um, which I believe was the Sean Boston coming out party and it was it was all of that. Uh, they got beat very handily by B C and then pretty easily by Louisville. So even after getting dismantled in three games and having uh, an upset bid fall apart pretty badly against Florida State, they were four and four and they were able to basically just beat up on the bottom of the A C C which included us and make a bowl game and beat U C F so um I don't know that NC State was all that great last year. Uh, their, I think their final F plus was like was 55, uh, and there were seven were eight and five. So it wasn't like they were burning down the house or anything. But perception just equals reality, and that's why people are, are going to pitch NC State to win eight games again this year. Um, they don't play anyone really, but they do what they need to do against the dreads that they schedule, and uh, they can withstand long losing streaks against actually good teams because They've already built themselves up early in the season, so um, I'm not. I, it's tough for me to project. Cause this this offense wasn't great last year, but it's largely the same this season, minus a couple of middling receivers. Um, but who knows if present takes a step forward as a senior? Uh, if he does, they'll be um, in the top, uh, you know, a, a, a large top tier of quarterbacks. I think um, as a as a general playmaker, so that should be exciting for them. Um, and again, they don't really play anybody, so they'll have a bunch of wins under their belt by the time they uh, step on the field against uh, Louisville on October third.
1: Yeah, when's the uh, when's the part when I can start just copy and pasting this snippet of the conversation and just start sending it out to the portions of the SU fan base? Yeah, it's it's just like I guess they have built-in
2: advantages of of. Uh, you know, being a large state school and being in a slightly more talented area, but they were also like really bad two years ago. And Syracuse without any real type of any real offense went down there and won pretty easily to uh, our first year in the ACC. So it's not like they were coming from some like way better position than SU was. Uh, and they've just been smart about rebuilding. And I'm sure once they, set themselves above water and they're fighting for like the Louisville spot in the league or, you know, that second tier of teams, they'll probably start ramping up their schedule a bit. Now, if they don't, then we can make fun of them. But for where they were when they probably put these schedules together, they did the right thing.
1: No, exactly. There's plenty more we can talk about there, but won't at the moment. Uh uh-huh. Syracuse. We won't spend much time here because there's plenty more to talk about with SU, and we will get to it for probably what ends up being over an hour. Um, but on paper, SU looks better in some ways, worse than others. Uh, that's definitely influenced um, a lot of media attention. I know uh, put up the article on Tuesday uh, that kind of referred to you know just how just how we're seen um, by the media. It's not great, and you know what? That's that's not a problem because um, the only way and the best way to fix that is just go in-game. You go in games, that perception changes. Um, you know, a lot of people see the same issues that Syracuse has um, over at BC, and BC is being lauded for them, where are being derided for them. No, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but the point is people see what they want to see in these previews. A lot of people are seeing negative for Syracuse. The only way that we get past that is go in the game because you know what this orange team while they're not the most talented in the world, I think the in game adjustments might be lacking at times. I think that they still have plenty of potential. um, And if we, we get rid of some of the main reasons for, for losses last year, I'm referring to a lot of the stupidity around the offense. um, We could see a different product on the field. And even if the losses start adding up, it won't be in the same manner that they did last year.
2: No, I think the two things that should just jump, jump out of off the page is that, I mean, they're, they're both related. Um, Syracuse's quarterback situation was so untenable last year. I The fact that we were in some of the games that we were in, mostly Clemson, like half of Louisville, um, parts of the NC State Duke game, like all games that a couple of big plays sort of swung the other way, it's almost like it it shows you how good that defense was last year. And obviously they lose a lot of guys on defense, but I trust that the defensive coaching staff will put a solid product on the field as they've done pretty much every season since the maroon Schaefer era began. And the offense quite literally there, there's so little room to move down <laughs> offensively. Um, even just pure rote uh, regression to the mean should mean the offense is a good deal better. And then, if you add in um, a coaching strategy that makes sense and utilizes players correctly, there's a chance that Syracuse just jumps to like national average and it's just a giant leap. Like, it, it won't look like it won't be the 2012 offense, but if you just move the Syracuse team from like 100 and whatever finished in the, in the 110s in offense to the 70s or 60s, that's just a monumental in, uh, improvement, and that could be worth two or three wins by itself. Um, so I don't know. I, I still think if, if I'm asked to project the record, I'd probably go five and seven just because there are so many, uh, question marks, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we've, you know, we talked about Raymond earlier. There's That's a concern for me. Um, but there's just no way this offense doesn't improve and is not even just, like, below average in terms of effectiveness. And that's a huge upgrade from where it was. So I, I have trouble seeing Syracuse just being the same team as last year because that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, it, unless Hunt gets hurt again and we're playing the dance with the quarterbacks again, there's no reason why the offense shouldn't be at least better enough to make this team respectable,
1: right? No, I think that's a very, very understated part of it all. Um, Is just how much you know incremental change from a deplorable offense uh, can result in wins. So we'll see, and I think there's a lot more to talk about with SU, but we'll we'll scoot on past them um, just for the sake of time here. Uh lastly, Wake Forest. Um the Demon Deacons, I, I brought them up the other day. Uh I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positivity around the Demon Deacons. Um as there should be, I think that the things are changing in the right direction for the Dave Clausen um and the deeks, but I don't necessarily think it's any more positive than what's going on at Syracuse at the moment. Um, it's, what, Wake is SU over the last five to seven years, like, without the on-field results, if that makes sense. And that's not to, not to diss, um, you know, Wake at all. It's just to say that, like, let's hold our horses on, on this, this meteoric rise everyone's, everyone's seeing, um, you know, begin and, and, you know, remind them. Sometimes teams take steps back. Wake doesn't really have a lot of talent on the roster right now, especially when they lost, uh, you know, their two best players, Kevin Johnson and Merrill Knoll. Like, this is a group that that I think can still be more competitive than it was last year and might end up at two or three wins once again. Um, It's tough to kind of just slot them in in front of Syracuse and the the Atlantic Division standings um, without wondering kind of how and why.
2: Yeah, I think Wake – I don't think it's a, there's as much talent at Wake as there is at SU right now, but I think the roster turnover is kind of mirrors what's going on at SU. Um, obviously, they have a younger quarterback who I think has some potential when he's not getting uh, sacked all the time. Um, John Walford. We talked about I talked about Bonifant's 15% back rate a little while ago. Walford was the full-time starter aside from 16 attempts from Tyler Cameron, which I believe were at least in part in the Syracuse game, because we knocked Wolford out. Uh, He got sacked 55 times, uh, 13% sack rate the whole season, um, which is rough. And he still managed, you know, 12 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. It's not great, but it's way better than what Syracuse had last year, and he was a freshman. So I think there is some hope there. Uh, I'm not buying the playmakers. Their rushing game was just so bad. Um, Their offensive line was – really bad as well, and they lose two starters. Um, not a ton of experience there. The defense, uh, I I don't know if it'll quite take the step back that some are projecting. Um, their corners were quite good, but they also weren't getting thrown on all that much because Wake is down pretty big in a lot of games. Um, and they returned a lot of their front seven, uh, which played fairly well at, uh, at points last year. So Obviously, I I don't think this is a bowl team or anything, but I do see where there is some positivity. I just think anyone who's saying that Wake is passing Syracuse this year, despite the fact that a Syracuse team playing a third-string quarterback went in and beat them by 20-something on the road last last season, uh, is a bit aggressive. I think both teams will take a step forward, but I also think people are almost understating how bad Wake was last year compared to Syracuse, which had to have a lot of injuries and just weird luck and a really terrible offense and still beat that team by 20.
1: Oh, phenomenally true. And just to chat through Wick's actual roster, who is on it? Um, I have to say, and we'll take one question on this and then we'll kind of you know sort out records, et cetera. Um, to me, I, I think John Walford, Still wise, should take a step forward, but I'll tell you why. Production wise, he may not. Um, and, and it's the offensive line. Uh, the offensive line is is largely rebuilt. Um, I think he was he was under attack a lot last year, so maybe it's addition by subtraction. But you know what? He still has a lot of guys trying to work together, just haven't done it before. Um, and to me, I think that just spells not great <laughs> for. For a player who's not really going to have a running game, again, as Wake has failed to in, for almost a decade now, um, receivers are going to be better, hopefully. Uh, and then again, it's, it's that line. He I, I, you, you also has to contend with the fact that teams are going to be able to pass on, on his defense, and and that could force him onto the field a lot more than he was last year. I mean, that was a saving grace for um both SU and Wake last year, was the fact that defense could stay on the field for extended periods of time and keep them in game. I guess for me, I like Walford's upside, but I also don't like what he's faced with this year um, in terms of the sophomore campaign.
2: Yeah, I think in an ideal world, John Walford had a chan- has a chance to be a good quarterback. The problem is we've seen uh, uh, quarterbacks are broken by that situation. Uh, we've seen the Syracuse do it to a couple people. We've seen uh, perhaps... It happened to a couple of Syracuse quarterbacks. Um, so Walford might end up bouncing back and being pretty productive, but I don't think he can t- have another 55 sack season. I-, I just don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's good for players' confidence. All these things that are hard to really uh, put down in numbers, but they do exist. And so if waste offensive line doesn't improve, there isn't a whole lot of hope for that team this season. Um, maybe there's some addition by subtraction since they do lose uh, a couple of their big starters who obviously didn't help much last season um, but also throwing out a really green off the line isn't generally a good equation anyway so we'll see it, I think Wakes is an interesting one, I think they're recruiting probably better than they should be um, I, I do think uh, that whole coaching staff deserves a, a lot of rope coming from where it is so that's a very difficult situation but um, I wouldn't be expecting a uh, bull game this year, maybe not next year. I think we'll see. It, it, it's a long rebuild for them because they were very lacking in talent. Um, the, only, the, the only FBS team that might have been in the worst situation last year uh, was probably Kansas, who at this point has 54 scholarship players. It's not that bad for a week, but um, they're going to need a couple years to totally turn over the roster. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're given a, a lot of rope, and I think
1: they probably deserve it. Indeed. I guess to wrap us up, uh, Dan, your projected standing, don't need a record, just one through seven. Who are we looking at in the Atlantic? I'm taking a shot and saying Deshaun Watson
2: stays healthy, and I'll take Clemson by a very slim margin over Florida State, uh, and then I'll take Louisville, I'll take NC State, I'll take Syracuse, BC, Wake Forest.
1: You forgot Florida State. I said Florida State after Clemson. Florida oh, State number two. <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay, FSU Twitter, we got you.
2: <laughs> I, I could be totally Just wrong. I mean, all it takes is one bad, or, you know, one Hayless play to Sean Watson injured against three Forest, and have to take a cheap shot decision by Davo uh, to have this all unravel. But I think he's far and away the best player in the conference. When he's healthy, maybe the best quarterback in the country, for all we know. So, um, I just ride with good quarterbacks, and I think Watson is
1: superb when he's healthy. That's fair. Um, you know, I've got, I've got Clemson. I'm not thrilled about it, if only because I'm scared of Florida State. But I also think that, you know, they could just have a step back season. It's not a bad thing. Uh, step back to them, probably still ten and two. So. I've got – I just think that their crossover this year um, is what's problematic, and that's Georgia Tech. Um, so looking at things, I've got Clemson. I've got Florida State. Um, i got Louisville. And then I've kind of got a, a muddle group, and, and I'm going by way of tiebreaker um, with – well, I think it's Syracuse and NC State are tied um, – in that fourth spot. I think, I think NC State gets the tiebreaker there, but, um, you know, so it really is, it is a minuscule, minuscule margin um, for them. I don't think that they're in the same class as Louisville at all. Um, I, yeah, I, I think State goes, you know, about three and five in the league. Uh, I got Syracuse coming in after them due to tiebreaker. Uh, Boston College takes a step back. Uh, and then Wake Forest, Um, it's weird that that no one else is is seeing things that way. Uh, (laughs) I guess I could see why. I also can't. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, And then I guess closing it out, Dan, do you see any Atlantic team playing um, in the college football playoff this year? Just the, just the, the two semifinal games.
2: Um, I think either of those top two uh, teams could. Uh, Florida State it, it's so it's quarterback dependent. Florida State gets like first half of 2014 Everett Golson, and he plays you know the pseudo Heisman level for uh, he was playing at before the Florida State game last year which is really weird to say now because he's now on that team um, they could totally get there. I think having uh, Dalvin Cook um, would obviously help a, a, a great deal Uh, And Clemson, I don't know. Clemson, I don't think it's quite as deep in terms of talent at Florida State, but I think that their top level playmakers might be a little better this season. Um, I think I I wouldn't pick either one of those. I've actually, uh, my current college football playoff uh, is out, which I've written about a bit uh, elsewhere. Uh, I don't think I have an ACC team making it this year, but I could see either of them being being the representative um, in the right situation.
1: It's fair. I've got a uh, – I don't have either of them in my top four. Uh, you have Clemson the Fiesta Bowl, so that's a thing. Um, yeah, and, and uh, sorry, Florida State, you are playing in – wait for it. I do dancing this spreadsheet, pretty extensive list. Um, I have you in the Citrus Bowl. You're facing Mississippi. Hooray. Do, do you have every bowl written out? I do. What do you have in the Emerald Diamond Bowl? Emerald Diamond. Why don't I have the Emerald Diamond Bowl? Oh, it called something else. Is it called something else? <laughs> I don't know. Do they put sponsors this year? Maybe.
2: In mind of that happens. Oh, it's the Foster Farms Bowl now. It's up. It's oh, in Yeah, that's, that's right. That happened last year. That was just the first random bowl that pops in my head.
1: I do have the Foster Farms ball, and Arizona State and Pittsburgh. Who? Who was the first team? Arizona
2: State. I mean, it's Arizona State versus Pittsburgh. That'd be, I don't think Pitt's good enough
1: to face Arizona State in the bowl, but maybe. No, I mean, they're not. That's that's the point here. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona State is going to win that game going away, and Pittsburgh is going to oh, win Baylor
2: that's the amazing storyline in that team. I see why you did that.
1: Yeah, because I, I really just wanted to see the Panthers' wipe go to face the
2: You really had to slide fit into a bowl they're not going to make because you want to see them get beat by Todd Durant by 30. That's mean. That's a mean thing.
1: 30? 30? 40? Arizona yeah, State know, is going to be well, we so know angry. We need to shot of
2: winning the past 12 this year, Arizona State, or we're going to put you in the Foster farm Bowl
1: just to play your coach's oh, old team for the lull. Arizona State is going to this- be so angry that they missed out on the playoffs that that they are going to take <laughs> it all out. Actually, though, no, I have Arizona State finishing fifth in a very tightly packed Pac-12 South, and that the Pac-12 is not. South might that might be that the most of- fun. That might be the most fun
2: fun division this year. Like, the SEC West is, is what it is, and it's great, but so the Pac-12 South is the SEC West with like unrelenting offense, um, and it's just as tight.
1: Oh, I, I'm going to love it, especially since there's 7 p.m. kickoffs here and not 10 p.m.
2: Yeah, I don't mind the 10 p.m. because it's just an excuse not to go out and waste money at bars. And I can stay up till 1 a.m. and base an entire, like, 14 hours watching football. And then if Hawaii's on, I won't see. Oh, I go I the full 18.
1: I go Hawaii. 6 a.m. Yeah, I go 6 a.m. When, when game day starts out here all the way through to the end of the Hawaii game at, like, midnight. Yeah, I hope we get
2: more Hawaii football this year. Just because I don't even care like if it's good or who it is, or I hope we get more like the Washington State Cal game last year or Wazoo uh, where, what's-his-name, broke the passing record, but they lost on like a 19-yard field goal miss. That was one of my favorite oh, like, was...
1: game-watching experiences of the, of the year. And I'm so excited for football it. to be back. <laughs> and we'll end it there um, on, on, a, on an up note. Uh, so, yeah, Dan, That's thanks, football, as always, for nothing. joining. <laughs> I wish we could have a Pac 12 podcast. <laughs> Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. We got to talk through a very fun Atlantic division.
2: Yeah, next week. Uh, I'm assuming we're doing the troll school next week, which is going to be, I don't know, I have no idea what's going to happen in the troll because that's the nature of that division. So that should be fun.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a blast with that group. <laughs> so for uh, Troy Noons, an absolute podcast, I'm John. That was Dan. Please be sure to subscribe, review, <laughs> rate us. Um, on blog on itunes much appreciated and uh go orange in just a few weeks now
0: we're counting down let's come up at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care dare to give a gift that lasts this valentine's day with our incredible selection of jewelry from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.